What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to the Hungry for Success podcast. I'm your host, Michael Phelps. On this episode of the show, I got to have a pretty crazy conversation with John Arpino about his whole story of how he's lost 273 pounds and really the struggles that he's been through during his life. I mean, the guy started off with a medical condition that um, caused him to be fighting for his life basically as soon as he was born. And, you know, you'll hear in his story that he's been doing that essentially his entire life. And so I really think that you guys are going to enjoy this. We talked a lot about self-accountability and how not enough people are accountable for themselves. Um, a lot of people, you know, it's great. They, they join fitness and health groups so they can get that group accountability. Um, but as John says, like when you're driving past that restaurant and you're hungry, it's you that you have to be accountable to so that you don't stop through that McDonald's drive through and make those bad choices. There's a lot of good things to take away from this episode, so I really hope you guys enjoy it. Here he is, John Arpino. John, what's happening, man? Hey, what's going on, brother? How's everything? Oh, it's good, man. It's good. So I just want to start the show off by um, giving you an opportunity to kind of tell the guests a little bit about your story. I'm sure a lot of, a lot of them know you already, but uh, it'd be good for them to hear. Sure, man. I appreciate it. So uh, for those listening who may not know who I am, my name is John Arpino, otherwise known as J-Arp's Journey on Instagram. I am uh, 27 years old. I am from Queens, New York. I am formerly 500 pounds. I have lost 273 pounds. Um, I lost the majority of my weight within the first, I want to say, year and a half to two years. Um, I've been on this journey for five years now, actually. Um, you know, I have a crazy life story. Um, I'm sure that we are going to get into it. I don't know if you want me to kind of give an overview of that now, if you kind of want to walk through everything together. Um, you kind of tell me what you want to do. Yeah, just give us a little overview and then uh, I'll jump in. All right, cool. Yeah. So, um, you know, I have been, I mean, I was overweight my uh, whole entire life. Um, my whole life was kind of an uphill battle for, um, you know, good majority of the first 22 years or so. Um, you know, when I was born, I had meconium aspiration. I spent the first two weeks of my life battling for my life in an incubator. Um, you know, when I was two years old, I was diagnosed with uh, severe asthma that uh, held me back for, you know, most of, it, most of, if not all my childhood and early adulthood. Um, I was in and out of hospitals and ICU units um, for as long as I can remember. I was in the hospital longer than I was actually in, um, you know, middle school, elementary school, or high school. Um, I had a key to the elevator in my high school. Um, you know, being obese uh, controlled my whole entire life. Uh, it wasn't until um, I had a very, very big encounter with death that I, you know, took my life back when I was 22 years old. Um, I was sitting in my house. Uh, it was the end of October. I was getting ready to watch a Mets game with my dad. The Mets were in the, uh, the, uh, playoffs that year. I was very excited. I'm a diehard Mets fan. Um, and before I, we went down to go watch the game, I had put some Vicks vapor rub on my chest cause I wasn't feeling well. I had a cold at the time. And what happened was the Vicks vapor rub, uh, kind of locked up my chest and I code blued in the middle of my house. So I was 500 pounds. I code blued. Uh, you know, one of the last things I remember was looking up at my dad and telling him to call an ambulance. Um, when the EMTs arrived, um, I had pretty much realized that I was screwed. Um, I had an EMT look me dead in the eye and say, I'm so sorry, as he rolled me out of my house and put me in the back of that ambulance. And 
you know, I remember staring at the clock on the wall of that ambulance on the way to the hospital. And I remember just floating in and out of consciousness and kind of just talking to God, the universe, whoever you believe is out there and pleading and begging for a second chance. Uh, lo and behold, you know, an hour and a half later, I woke up in intensive care unit in my local hospital, hooked up to a BiPAP machine, and I was given that second chance. Um, when I, you know, woke up, I knew basically I had no other choice but to change my life. You know, I begged for this chance. I begged for this opportunity. Um, and it was, it was granted to me. Um, going forward from that point on, I knew that I had to change my life. Unfortunately, I was so out of shape. At this point, I was probably around 510 pounds that I couldn't join your regular, you know, run-of-the-mill chain gym. I couldn't walk into a Planet Fitness and, you know, do anything or go to a retro fitness. So uh, my doctor kind of recommended me to a pulmonary rehab facility that is basically meant for elderly people who had suffered from strokes or car accidents and stuff of that nature, kind of get them back on their feet. Um, so I had joined this facility and I had walked in the first day and it was nothing but 75 plus in age. And I was the youngest person in the room and I was the biggest person in the room. And at one point during my first, you know, few visits to this pulmonary rehab facility, they had put me on the treadmill for the first time. And when I had gotten on that treadmill, I could barely get the speed over, you know, one mile an hour. So just the one setting on the uh, quick speed. Um, I had a older gentleman about, you know, 78 or so to the left of me. And I had his wife actually to the right of me and she was around 80 years old as well. And they were both kicking my ass on this treadmill. Man. <laughs> like when I tell you that they were going like maybe five or six or over, like they were cruising and I was gasping for air. I couldn't go over a minute. And it was at that point where I realized, Hey, um, if, if you want to make any progression, like it's, it's not going to happen here. Um, you know, so I had to kind of gain that confidence and put my big boy pants on. And um, I had gotten in touch with a trainer who I went to high school with, actually, and he had lost about 115 pounds on his own. And I kind of looked towards him for guidance. And we worked together. We worked extremely hard. I had lost uh, 88 pounds in total. But my problem was, no matter how good I did, or, you know, how well everything was working out, I would eventually have another asthma attack. I would end up back in the hospital and I would be put on steroids. So a big reason why I was so obese as a child was because I spent 13 plus years on a drug called prednisone. Now, for those of you listening that don't know what prednisone is, prednisone is a steroid and it is given to relieve inflammation. Unfortunately, one of the side effects of prednisone is it either makes you, it makes you your, your growth stunt or it makes you put on weight. Now, for those that don't know me, I'm six foot five. I've never had a problem in the height department. Um, and it made me blow up to be about 500 pounds. So every time I would lose a little bit of weight, when I really decided to get my life together, um, it would just make me put back on weight that I was fighting so hard to lose. And this, this was like the double-edged sword. So it was either, you know, feel better and be able to breathe, right? Because, you know, if you don't breathe, you can't do anything. Yeah. Um, or, or don't breathe and probably die of an asthma attack. So at that point, I had my doctor kind of sit me down and say, hey, John, listen, these are your options. And, you know, the, mainly the only option that he gave me was uh, bariatric surgery. Now, I didn't want bariatric surgery. Um, those listening might think, oh, you know, he took the easy way out. Um, by the end of this podcast, I hope that you know that, you know, taking bariatric surgery is certainly not the easy way out. Um, and I had to make that decision. And, you know, I come from a very old school New York Italian family 
who believes that you need to, you know, leave this earth the same way that you came in. So trying to convince my Italian grandmother that I was going to have, you know, almost two thirds of my stomach removed from my body was kind of a, uh, kind of a battle within itself. But at the end of the day, they knew it was for my health. Um, I had the uh, procedure done and, uh, you know, from that point on, I was in the gym six days a week, relearning how to eat, relearning, you know, how to think, relearning everything, everything soup to nuts that you would think, you know, the stuff that you wouldn't even imagine that you would have to relearn because, you know, your whole, your, just your whole life changes, your whole body changes, you, you eat a certain way for your whole entire life and then boom, you know, at a drop of a hat, everything changes. You know, you, you go from one day of eating solid food, whatever you want, and then for the next month to two months, you're eating nothing but mush because you're, you have to relearn how to eat. Um, you know, now I'm down 273 pounds. So um, did it work? Yeah. Did I have to work my ass off for it? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, man, that's, uh, that's kind of just a brief kind of dive into uh, what JR's journey is and who he is. Well, first off, I want to say I absolutely love people like you, man. Like I love people who have faced adversity, like looked it in the face and kicked its ass, you know, like, and from your story, like you, you started facing this adversity from the jump, you know, like as soon as you were born fighting for your life and then, you know, then the constant struggle, uh, in your youth. So there's been just in that little bit of stuff that you've told me, there was a lot, but there was a lot of opportunities for you to feel defeated, you know? And so that's one thing that I find interesting about your story. So like, for example, when you're on that treadmill and you got 70 year old Joe over here beside you kicking your ass, like Mm -hmm. how do you not feel defeated in that moment, but instead decide you're going to go to a regular gym and get after it? Man, uh, you know, if I could be quite frank with you, I can't tell you that I didn't feel defeated. I a thousand percent felt defeated. Um, but I was really at a point in my life where I had given myself so many excuses and I had, and I had quit on myself so many times and I was literally being handed this opportunity to finally get my shit straight that feeling defeated wasn't an option. Like it was there, that emotion was there, but the action of being defeated, it, it couldn't be done, you know? Yeah. It, I mean, so it's weird for some people, I think, because some people go down these paths and mm-hmm. I think it's a lot of the same with like, um, any kind of addiction. So food, drugs, mm-hmm. any of these things that, right. you know, that are a bad path they get to a certain point that hit rock bottom and they make a decision to either take back their life or mm-hmm. it's kind of over. There's not a lot like in the middle and, you know, I always question like, why do people choose one path or the other? And, you know, I mean in a way, not nearly as extreme as you, but I had the same kind of thing. Um, I didn't have the major health issue. I just had a doctor saying, you know, your blood pressure's high, your sugar's right. high, all these things. Like you're, I was 22 as well. And they're like, you're not going to make it. Right. right. And so I'm always like curious what makes the people take those choice or make those choices. You know, man, it, it, you know, I, I don't like to think of myself as, is like a rarity or anything like that because I'm, I'm certainly not, but Again, if I could just take it back, like I spent my whole entire life at rock bottom, you know, that's yeah. all I knew. I only knew rock bottom. Um, you know, I was a young kid and I was forced because of my health to miss out on huge milestones in my life. Like I can only remember because they only exist about 
maybe seven Halloweens where I was not in a hospital. Okay. This year we'll make probably eight or nine that I'm not in a hospital for Halloween. Um, I could literally time my watch to the time of year knowing that I would go into the hospital. I was in the hospital constantly every Valentine's day, every Halloween, when the Grammys were on TV, when the Oscars were on TV, this is how I, I pinpoint errors of my life because those are my memories. You know, Um, I was on such a name to name basis with the hospital staff in my town that they were going to like name a wing after me. Like, (laughs) you know, I had spent so much time living in rock bottom that it was all I knew. So when when someone gave me like that little sliver of hope that I could change, it was the only decision that I could possibly make, you know. Um, and I've said this on other podcasts and, and I say this openly on my Instagram, but I have looked death in the eye more times than I'm proud to admit that one time when I was 22 years old that I was talking about earlier, when I clothed blue to my house, mm-hmm. for some reason, that was the realest moment to me. Now there had been other times where I was way, way, way worse off, but I had so much going on in my life. Like I had lost my grandmother about seven months before that. My grandma took care of me my whole entire life. She was like the mom that I never had, right? My mom really wasn't in the picture for me growing up. Now we have a great relationship, but back then she wasn't in my life. Um, When I lost my grandma, I went into a complete, super dark depression. I wanted nothing to do with anything. Like nothing was bringing me any sort of joy in life. Um, I was just eating to eat because that was like my only solitude. That was like my my fix, like, like a druggie, you know, like a lot of people say it and, you know, I'll say it on here. Food addiction, drug addiction, go hand in hand. Um, I was an addict. Uh, I could only find happiness in food and that was it. You know, when I had that out, I knew I needed to take it because I knew that I, I didn't have enough chances left. I wasn't a cat. You know what I'm saying? Like cat has nine lives. If a cat has nine lives, JRP had about seven and they were almost done. Well, when you're that, when you're at the, that rock bottom and that's all, you know, like you're saying, you know, that is like long-term suffering. And sometimes the only thing that takes your mind off of it or makes you feel good is that instant gratification of the food going down. This this pizza, this cereal, whatever, like tastes great. You know, your mind's completely off all these like terrible things around you. And I think a lot of people go down that path. Oh yeah. A thousand percent, dude. It's a coping mechanism. You know, if you're upset, you eat. And especially, especially if someone's from like a, a an Italian background, like myself, like Italians are funny, dude. Um, Italians where they're like the only culture I really know of besides maybe like Latin Americans that, you know, they eat when they're happy. They eat when they said, when they're sad, they eat when there's a death in the family, they eat at birth. Like there's so many reasons why Italians eat that like, I, my fondest memories is just my grandma shoving food down my throat. Like, are you still hungry? No, grandma. Well, okay, me eat more. I made more. So you have to eat more. That's my memories, dude. Like my grandma making sauce on a Sunday and me coming out of my room at 11 o'clock in the morning and just smelling fresh garlic in my house and tomatoes. Like that's a core memory. Like that's a triggering memory. That's a memory that brings me happiness. Um, and Italian grandmothers, they never say no to their grandsons, dude. And I'm the firstborn in my house and she never, ever, ever looked in my eye and told me no. So if I wanted it, I had it. And what I wanted was food and she was really good at cooking. So, so that actually was one thing that I was uh, curious about is 
Um, so I know we talked about, uh, the medication that you were taking, you know, led to weight gain, but were there also, um, I think you kind of just answered it like bad eating habits on top of that. And then like, um, you know, how did those develop? Well, again, my life is, uh, my life is a movie and I don't mean that in a great way. Like my life is a, what can go wrong, will go wrong scenario for a very long time. So a lot of my eating problems, a lot of my food addiction actually stem from, um, food allergies growing up. And even now to this day, I have a laundry list of food allergies. Um, when I was a kid though, I couldn't eat any proteins. Like I was allergic to chicken. I was allergic to beef. I'm allergic to fish still. I'm allergic to shellfish. I'm allergic to probably every top nut in the world besides peanut and almond and coconut. So growing up, I had a really hard time not eating junk because processed food I could just eat. You know, I wasn't allergic to anything. Um, You know, one really big memory I have is in the second grade, we had Thanksgiving in class, right? Mm -hmm. So all the moms kind of did like a potluck. Everyone made turkey. They made stuffing. They made mashed potatoes, yada, yada, yada. I couldn't eat turkey because I'm allergic. So my mom brought me McDonald's to school and I had McDonald's during Thanksgiving with the rest of the kids and they had turkey and stuffing and mashed potatoes. So it wasn't, at first, it wasn't really like I had a choice. Um, at one point in time, my food allergies had gotten so bad that, uh, I was put on an all rice diet. So every product was made of rice. Now, when I tell you, there are so many products that you can buy in the store that are only solely made of rice. I had rice, cheese, rice, milk, rice, bread, you name it. It's made of rice. And, uh, yeah. And even then that really didn't do anything. Then that wasn't, I wasn't put on that diet to like lose weight you know sometimes as a kid some kids are put on their on a diet from a doctor that wasn't one of those cases i just physically couldn't eat any anything you know i would i would have anaphylactic shock i would my throat would close and you know then again game over and so have you grown out of like a lot of those allergies especially like protein yeah so the the protein one i've uh really grown out of i can totally eat chicken i can totally eat steak i can totally eat turkey i can't eat anything that lives in the sea um, and the only four nuts I can eat is, uh, peanuts, almonds, coconut, and hazelnut. So that's crazy to think about. And like, I don't even know how as a kid, like you would be able to structure it to have a good diet because no, you couldn't. It, yeah. It, yeah, if you can't like avoid protein or if you have to avoid protein, then you're drawn to all these carbs and then the carbs mm-hmm. don't fill you up. So you just keep eating and they're calorie dense. And yep. next thing you know, you're just smashing donuts all the time. Or exactly. that's how I would be. That's exactly how I'd be. Exactly, man. That's exactly what it was, dude. I was popping in Elio's pizzas in my toaster oven like they were going out of style. Or I was, you know, my parents were ordering food for me like it was going out of style. Man. So I do have one kind of off the wall question for you here. So, uh, my boss at work, he, uh, he is from New York Italian and all we do at work is eat pizza. Like yeah. this, this man orders pizza every time there's a meeting. Where, where are you from? My brother? I'm from Kentucky. Okay, cool, yeah, cool, yeah. cool. I'm sure they do not have the greatest pizza in Kentucky. No, we do not have the greatest pizza, <laughs> but he has uh and he has like one pizza place that he loves yeah. and it's, it's the same pizza every time. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. Dude, I haven't had a real slice of pizza in five years. In five years? Yep. Man, I I can't even imagine that, really. Yeah, dude. Uh, when I really decided to take control of this situation, 
pizza was the first thing that I had to go. Um, pizza was such a security blanket for me in my life. Um, if I felt bad, if I felt happy, if I felt any sort of emotion, it didn't matter what it was. Pizza. That's my, that was my go-to. Um, and I knew that when I started this, I would just have to nip that addiction in the ass. And I said, no more, no more pizza. Um, you ate enough pizza for 22 years. And I said the same things for myself about cheat meals, but I was very, very serious about pizza. Um, and it's just a personal preference. I mean, right now I could go to the store and go to my favorite pizzeria, enjoy a slice of pizza and know that I won't go back down a bad path, but it's just personal preference right now. Um, there'll be a time and a place where I, you know, decide, Hey, you know, today's the day I'm going to have real pizza. Um, I just haven't yet. Um, quest pizzas are really good. I like those. They're high in protein. So I eat those, uh, cauliflower pizza is really good. So if I don't, really need to eat the the bread i i don't you know i i've eliminated all sorts all all bread from my diet um i'm just not into it anymore and actually it's it solved a lot of stomach issues that i was having Hmm. so for me that was definitely like cereal i was a big big cereal guy growing up never ate cereal out of a regular bowl always like a tupperware bowl oh fact yeah yeah and so my dad was at one point growing up my dad was like you're not allowed to have cereal for any meal but breakfast. Right? <laughs> so it's the go-to cereal. Uh, man. So there was this really weird cereal from Walmart and it was like, it was cinnamon toast crunch essentially, but it was blueberry flavored. Wow. Yeah. And so that sounds I, good. I only remember having it whenever I was a kid and never been able to find it since, but I probably haven't except for like whenever I stay in hotels for work and they have like the uh, little food thing set up, I probably haven't had a bowl of cereal in like five years outside of just that one controlled little environment. Just cause, yeah. like I can't, I still have the thing where I like, I can't bring a whole bag in the house or I'm going to eat it all. No, like, I feel that dude. Yeah. A thousand percent. I can't control it like that. But so one thing that I did want to talk about is how has your nutrition evolved? And, you know, I don't want to say diet or more like right. style of eating. How has your nutrition evolved from, you know, where you started at your heaviest and then I guess through your, um, you know, your uh, um, weight loss surgery and then to like now? Um, so, like I said before, growing up, it was kind of like a no holds barred scenario. Uh, kind of just ate whatever I wanted, whatever I wanted, um, large quantities for everything. Um, at my peak, at my like real big heavy stage, I could take down a whole entire pizza, no problem. Probably about half a dozen wings and half a dozen garlic knots in one sitting. Like easy, no problem. Um, now in days, well, like after, after bariatric surgery, um, obviously that all changed. Um, my meals were very, very condensed. They were small. Um, at one point in time, I couldn't eat over about four ounces at a time. Um, but now I'm so far out. I am um, 2016. So 2016, I had my surgery. So I'm four years out of, uh, I'm four years post-op. So now, um, you know, I still have a little bit restriction uh, as far as because of the bariatric surgery goes. Mm-hmm. But I can eat probably just the same way that you eat now. Um, or anybody else in the world. Um, I just eat smarter. I eat cleaner. I don't eat to get disgustingly full. That was a big problem that I had, you know, Mm -hmm. before everything I would just, you know, consume so much food until I was nauseated and not until I was full. You know, there's such a big difference between the two. Um, but now I eat very much, um, high protein, low carb, um, depending on how, like what I'm doing in the gym, 
Um, now I'm starting to lift a little bit heavier. So I've, you know, obviously up my carbohydrates, um, my protein's always high. Um, I eat like a bodybuilder. So, um, usually I, I don't eat until about one thirty in the afternoon. You know, I'll have black coffee, water, whatever, but, um, I don't, I don't eat solid food until about one thirty in the afternoon. And then while I'm at work, I have about three meals, which is, uh, seven ounces of protein anywhere between a about a third of a cup to a full cup of white rice per meal. Then I lift, then I go home, I eat a regular dinner, which is either chicken or steak. Again, high protein, um, sometimes no carb, sometimes carb and then vegetable. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, that's pretty much exactly how I eat too. Um, yeah. I don't do, I don't, I guess, uh, so with skipping the breakfast, it's kind of like intermittent fasting. Um, right. Yeah. And so I don't do that. I do have usually a big breakfast because I usually train at like f uh, 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. So I try to get some food in like after I train. But otherwise, like my eating is pretty much the exact same. And I have found that um, I was I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Mark Bell and in his podcast, Who's um, that? Mark Bell. What podcast? Uh, it's called The Power Project. Um, OK, it's a big jam. He's a, a, a longtime power lifter. Um, but there was a guy on his show one time and he said, like, if you graduated high school at 300 pounds or more, carbs are probably not your best friend or they probably <laughs> are your best friend. They're just not great for you. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's kind of the thing that I found is like whenever I cheat on my diet or um, I go overboard, it's usually always on some type of carb. Right. Right. So I found like that I definitely do better on that lower carb diet. I do use the white rice and stuff like that. I, so, but I don't necessarily like full keto either. So right. I found that that's probably the best for me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, that's definitely my happy place. That's like my, my sweet spot is a, is low carb, high protein. I don't want, I, you know, at one point in time I was, I was really afraid of the carbs. Um, mm -hmm. when I had first gotten the bariatric surgery, you know, you have to stay away from carbs just for a little bit till your stomach, you know, kind of figures itself out. Let's just say for lack of better terms. So probably for like the first six months to a year post-op, I didn't eat any carbs, period, no carbs. Um, and then, um, my trainer started to want to introduce carbs back into my diet and I was scared shitless. I wanted nothing to do with it. I wanted nothing to do with rice. I didn't want to do anything with grains, nothing. If it was a carb, get the hell away from me. Um, now I'm not afraid of carbs. I'm not afraid of anything, but I'm not afraid of carbs. Um, it's just, I know what works. Um, yeah. and this is like maybe the first time in my life that I can really say, you know, I know what works for my body. I know how it works for my body. Um, th this is what I'm comfortable with eating. Um, and don't get me wrong. Listen, there's a time and a place for everything. Um, sometimes I have a wrap, which is a lot for me. My, if any of my friends listen to this, they're going to laugh because at one point in time, I would refuse to even eat like just a tortilla wrap. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I had a friend one time we went out for drinks or whatever. And afterward we hit a diner and, um, he got a wrap and he kept teasing me like, yo, have a bite, have a bite, have a bite to the point where like he forced me, grabbed my face and forced me to have a piece <laughs> of this. So, you know, it, you, sometimes you fear things, but you have to get over it. You know, you, you have to learn how it works for your body. Yeah. Half the battle of weight loss, I really do feel like is just knowing yourself, learning your limits yes. um, when it comes to food and that kind of stuff. And then just like finding truly, I mean, this is overused, but what works for you because yeah. you've, you've known yourself or you've learned yourself and just go mm -hmm. with it. And that's going to evolve. Like that's constantly going to evolve. Like I've been on this journey like five years as well. And just, 
you know, what I do now is not what I did when the day I started. Right. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, this journey is forever changing, man. If you're not changing with the journey, then you're going to get left behind. Yeah, exactly. One thing I really want to jump into is like, you, I felt like while you were telling your story, you said something really powerful, which is like you said, I think, believe you said, um, I hope by the end of this podcast, you realize that bariatric surgery is not the easy way out. Mm-hmm. And so I actually made a post um, because my last guest had had bariatric surgery as well. And we talked a little bit about it. But, you know, I think that it gets a bad rap a little bit because people think it's the easy way out without right. realizing that that all it does is give you like a leeway of time, mm-hmm. six, 12 yep. months or whatever to get your eating right. But if you don't make that mental change, you don't make that mental shift, that lifestyle change, it's going to come back. You know, the surgery Absolutely. doesn't fix your eating habits. Nope. That it does not. Um, you know, I've said this on multiple podcasts and then, you know, I say it on my, on my page all the time, bariatric surgery. Um, it didn't change my body. Uh, not at all. Um, it changed my mind. Um, now I've talked to other people who have had bariatric surgery and for some people it it doesn't change their mind because they're so set in their ways. I allowed bariatric surgery to work for me. You know, I wouldn't like, I wouldn't work for the surgery. I made the surgery work for me. So I knew wholeheartedly what I was getting into before I signed up for this. Um, I had done extensive research because there was one point in time I was 13 years old. I was ready to sign my name on the dotted line at 13 to get bariatric surgery because I thought it was the easy way out. Yeah. It wasn't until I did the extensive research that I realized, hey man, no, it's not. It, this, you know, it's not. You go get the surgery and then in two days you're eating cookies and cupcakes and you know binging out on pizza and you're you know you're gonna instantly drop 100 pounds. Dude, your your whole way of life changes. Your whole mentality changes. The way you operate changes. The way you eat. The way you drink. Um, you know how hard it is to not eat and drink at the same time. You know, like that was something that I didn't even know was going to be an issue until I signed up for this. Um, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, a bariatric patient should not ever eat and drink at the same time. They should wait a half hour after eating before they have a beverage. So you can sip water up until you have your first bite of food. As soon as you take that first bite of food, you cannot have any liquid till a half hour after you're done eating. I had no idea that was the thing. Yeah. So the reason for, for why that is one, obviously is the, the logical reason it's going to stretch out your stomach, right? Mm-hmm. So you have this brand new stomach. Obviously the whole point was to kind of give you a little restriction. So you don't want to end up causing yourself to have no restriction, but also what happens is, and I tell this to people who have not had bariatric surgery. I actually recommend this for everybody. What happens is when you eat, your body doesn't instantly digest the food that you're consuming, right? So when you drink right after you eat or while you're eating, you're actually pushing that food down into your intestines before your body has a chance to break it down. So you're actually losing out on nutrients um, before you have a chance to, to get them, before your body has a chance to break them down and, and put them to use. So you're actually wasting and eating because like, if you think about it, we're all animals and we all eat to survive, right? It's just we're so advanced that we eat just to fucking hang out. Um, but that's just not how it is. So when you eat, your body's looking for these nutrients. When you eat and drink at the same time, you're, you're not giving your body that opportunity. Yeah. And especially that's important for people who've had bariatric surgery because right there, there, your absorption is not the same. Right? Exactly. So yep. aren't there some, um, I guess, vitamins and stuff that you should take or no? Yeah. So I take a multivitamin. I take a, a men's multivitamin once a day. Um, right now, because of everything that's going on in the world, I've kind of upped my vitamin D and my zinc. 
just yeah. because I was kind of deficient in that a little bit beforehand. And now with, you know, the whole COVID situation, they, they're telling everyone, you know, up your vitamin C, up your vitamin D, up your zinc. So I've kind of taken a little bit extra precaution in that area. Um, and also I take biotin because when I was first losing weight and I had dropped a drastic amount of weight kind of within a short period of time, I was losing my hair. Oh. Um, yeah, because my whole body chemistry was just so out of whack because of bariatric surgery, um, the absorption rate, you know, of nutrients wasn't the same. So my body was just kind of in this shock. And I was actually looking at an old video the other day of me working out when I was kind of heavy and I had this huge bald spot in the back of my head that I had no idea <laughs> that I literally turned on my trainer. Who's one of my best friends. I was like, yo bro, you were letting me walk around like this. Like you couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't give me the Iggy that there was something wrong. And, um, yeah, so I just take the biotin now. Um, my hair is kind of thinning out, but you know we're getting old. It happens. Gotta have to deal with it eventually. <laughs> Very true. So one thing, another thing that I'm curious is how this journey has um, improved your confidence. I found like most people that that go through this drop a significant amount of weight, drop or their confidence really improves, and not just confidence is like with how you look or whatever, but just your whole life in general? Um, I mean, yes, my confidence is definitely, you know, improved. Um, now, excuse me. <clears throat> it wasn't that I lacked confidence beforehand. Um, I was always a pretty confident guy, but a lot of the time I pushed this, this confidence that was not real. Mm -hmm. If you can kind of, kind of get what I'm saying. So like you put me in a crowded room with a bunch of people, probably the most confident guy in there, right? Yeah. I would play it off. In my mind, I didn't have any confidence at all. I had low self-esteem. I hated who I was. Um, I would make jokes about myself to kind of shield myself from people wanting to make jokes about me because, hey, you're the fat guy. You're 500 pounds. So if you're going to make a joke about me, I'm probably going to make it before you because I'm going to take the ammo out of your gun so you can't shoot me, right? Once I've yeah. taken away your joke, you got nothing on me. So now I'm just the fat guy. You're the guy who was going to make the joke and now you have no joke. So the joke's on you. Um, so yeah, man, I mean, I definitely got more confident. Um, but I, I felt more comfortable being me. Right. So I was always naturally fun to be around. I was always naturally funny. I always had a great sense of humor, a really good personality. Now I just sound like I'm jerking myself off. Excuse me. I don't even know if I'm allowed <laughs> to curse on this you podcast. So I, I, all right, cool. I, I apologize. You're good. So, so, but I was never comfortable being me. Like, this guy right here that's on your podcast right now, he lived deep down inside that 500-pound version of me, trying to break out for years. And like that 500-pound version of me was just kind of pushing him down, pushing him down, pushing him down, pushing him down. And then one day I realized, yo, he's breaking free. Like I remember specifically looking in the mirror one day and being like, holy shit, this is who I am. Like this is the real me. Yeah. And then I had no problem staring at myself in the mirror anymore. And I had no problem going out in a crowd and I had no problem doing anything. And I had no problem just being in touch with who I was and acting the way I wanted to act and just being John Arpino. Like it took me so long to find myself, but I knew who I was the whole time. You know, it was just mm -hmm. mind games. That's all it was. Yeah. I can definitely um, relate to that, especially when you're saying like, this is me, this is who I am like now, because, you know, like I look at myself and the things I do now, like I just really like challenging myself and pushing, you know, oh, yeah. pushing, my, pushing myself, not just physically, but mentally and socially, like starting this podcast and, and, mm -hmm. you know, doing workouts and stuff that I never thought I could like, right. 
and that was always in me. Like I was always that person and I was just doing it in other avenues of my life that were kind of like behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Like I, I worked really hard in school and, you know, I got a master's degree and all these things, but I didn't show it like outwardly. Does that, if that makes sense. Right. A hundred percent. hundred percent. Um, dude, I let, I let, I let my obesity make me drop out of college. Like I was enrolled in college. I spent a week and a half in college, decided that I couldn't walk around the campus. I was way too out of shape. Um, spent the money for a semester and sat in my car while my family thought I was getting an education, sat wow. in my car. Yep. So one thing that, uh, another thing I kind of think is like, I hate that I did that to myself, like and kept myself shelled up and kind of put on that, the, um, fat funny guy, like persona. Cause I mean, I did the same thing, but then also when I look back at it, like my ability to sit here and have this conversation with you and bullshit and like the same thing that I do at work and like. I don't care to go up to any crowd at work and say, Hey, what's up? What's going on? And just like start a conversation. Right. It's because of that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's because of that. Mm -hmm. I wasn't, you know, I said whatever first, like you're saying, so that no one could take shots at me, but I also wasn't as scared to approach any crowd because of that. Right. Yeah. Right. I agree. Uh, yeah. I was just wondering if you kind of had like a similar experience. So can you ask me a question one more time? So you're saying before I lost the weight, did I have a problem going into crowds? No, I mean like because I was the big guy and kind of became mm -hmm. the fat, funny guy persona and was willing, you know, kind of willing to do anything, say anything, like make people laugh, like to make them essentially like me, you know, because I didn't like myself oh, much. Yeah. Like now. Absolutely, dude. Because yeah. of that now, the person I am, like because of that experience, it's allowed me to be like, unafraid to do or say anything in a crowd like that oh yeah well i have no like i never had a filter even back then i never had a filter now i just my friend i don't give a shit anymore <laughs> like <laughs> i spent way too much time caring about what other people thought um now at the end of the day i care about what i think i care about what i think at the end of the day so um i do this funny thing where at night um i'll kind of replay the events of the day in my head and there were times where I was like 500 pounds where I would go home and I would think about everything that happened in the day and I'd be like, well, this was kind of embarrassing or that was kind of embarrassing or maybe you shouldn't have said that. Now I'm just like, ah, fuck it. You said it. It's done. Let's move on. We got shit to do tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Like I, I just, I spent so much time caring that like now I just, like you said before, I, I take more risks. I challenge myself more. I'm not afraid to make an ass out of myself. Like, so yeah. back to what we were saying, Yes, I was the fat, funny guy, right? And I would take the jokes before people had the chance to make the jokes. One thing, though, when I was fat, I never gave myself a reason to embarrass myself. Because when you're 500 pounds and you embarrass yourself, it's so much more worse than when a skinny dude does it. Like, let me tell you something. If a, if a skinny dude, like, walked out of a store holding a, two pizza pies, slipped on the puddle in front of him and fell, probably five people would come over and help him It'd be a joke for a second. A 500-pound guy walks out of a pizzeria with two pizza pies, slips on a puddle, and busts his ass. Be a lot of laughing people. <laughs> yeah. Be a yeah, lot I of know exactly what you're saying, man. I When I was bigger, I sat down in, like, just one of those uh, metal chairs you find in any kind of, like, conference hall or whatever, any kind of mm -hmm. event you go to. And the thing just, like, split. Yeah. And I, you know, this is on a construction site, so I got 10 or 15 construction workers just laughing their ass off. And it's like... Oh, of course. And so instantly in my mind, it's like they're laughing at me because I'm fat. My like my heart feels like it's in my stomach and I want to puke. Just, mm -hmm. And that's like the worst feeling, man. 
Oh yeah, without a doubt, man. Like I had broken uh, a really good friend of mine's backyard patio furniture. Like I, was, <laughs> I just sat down and the whole chair crumbled and I felt like shit. All my friends were laughing at me, but you know, those are my boys. So like they could laugh yeah, if there was anyone okay. else there. Yeah. And they laughed, I'd deck them in the face. But, um, listen, I felt bad. He thought it was hysterical. I tried to give him money for the chair. He didn't want it. He said it was a good laugh and that was the end of it. And you know, we had a beer and that was over. Yeah. So this kind of brings me to another thing. Like you're talking about now, you know, not caring as much about people, what people think and all that kind of stuff. What, um, what made you decide to, uh, put your journey on Instagram and kind of and share that, um, and share that journey with everyone? Um, that's actually a really interesting question, which brings me to a whole nother story. <laughs> um, so I never wanted to share my journey okay. ever. Um, I would, for some reason, I was just not that guy. Um, I always had a mentality of, well, one, I hated the Instagram weight loss community. Couldn't yeah. stand it. Before I was a part of it and before I really started my journey, I couldn't stand it. Why? Because I was a stupid, jealous fuck. That's why. <laughs> I wanted what they had, but I wouldn't work for it. But then I was under the impression of, Yo, I'm just another fat kid. Why does anybody give a shit what I'm going through? Why does anybody give a shit what I'm what I have to say? What I have to say does not matter. Um, now I was um, I was in the club business at the time. Uh, I was in the nightlife industry in New York. I was working at probably like five different nightclubs doing promotion and you know helping book talent and a whole bunch of stuff. And at the time, going viral on Instagram was like a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know. And I always wanted to, everyone wants to be Instagram famous for like a half a second, right? (laughs) Like, especially when Instagram first came out, you know, um, I, I wanted that. I didn't want it for weight loss. No part of me ever wanted anything for weight loss. Um, and me and my buddy, I would always tell my best friend at the time, yo, like we could do this and maybe this will pop off or we could do that. Maybe that could pop off and blah, 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 blah. And then New Year's Eve, 2017, we're out in one of the clubs that we run and my best friend walks over to me at the ball drops at 12 o'clock, brand new year. Um, he comes over to me, takes my phone out of my hand, types in this Instagram, types in the password, hands me back the phone. And he goes, happy new year. He goes, I want you to share your whole entire journey. He goes, don't share it to share it with people. He goes, I want you to use this as a journey, a journal for yourself. This is just for you. I was like, okay. He was like, if you never want to share it with anybody, you don't have to. He goes, but just use it for you. Keep it, post on it. You're going to be the only one who reads it. Okay, yeah, no problem, Nick. Like, all right, if this is what you want me to do, then sure, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. The next thing you know, it caught on. Now, I don't have the most popular page on Instagram for weight loss, not even like a fraction. But um, for some reason, what I had to say was catching on. People were feeling the same way that I, were fe- that I was feeling. They were getting inspiration from the words that I was saying. And, you know, that was it. One, one thing led to another and here we are. Um, but like I literally, and, and I've said this on, on my Instagram as well, like the way that I post, like I don't post for you. You know, like I post for me my Instagram is my journal. It's my diary. So if I'm feeling a certain way that day, I'm going to post about it. And I don't care your opinion on it. If you happen to feel the same way as me, hey, thanks. God bless. I appreciate that. If you don't, well, then you don't. Um, but I do post to inspire people, to show people that you know it's never too late. I post to motivate people. But at the end of the day, I'm really just trying to motivate myself to keep going. You know, it's, This is my journal. It's my world. You go on a JRB's journey on Instagram, that's, you're in my space. Yeah. 
No pun intended. That's the, <laughs> uh, MySpace reference. That's great. Yeah. Um, I think that's definitely the best attitude to have about it, right? Is that you're posting for you, but then whenever, you know, you're posting for you with hopes that you're with what you're posting inspires some others down the road. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, like, yeah, I did start this podcast to like inspire people and educate and motivate like the whole nine yards. But also, I also started this selfishly for me to talk to some cool people and to share my right. story think through like to see other people's experience and ho- and maybe that can shape my experience moving forward. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, I think that's the best outlook that you can have. And so with that, you have some other things going on, man. Like you have your, your podcast, you got your, you got your podcast yeah. going on. And so what pushed you to that? So, um, also drop the name and all that good stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. Of course. So before COVID hit, um, so I was actually doing a podcast just like I'm on your podcast right now. Um, and I was talking to, um, a person by the name of David Roden. Um, for those listening, you may know him on Instagram as fit underscore D rock. He had invited me onto his podcast. He had just written a book. It was doing really well on Amazon. He wanted to make like a, a supplement podcast for the book basically. Right. Mm -hmm. So he had me on as his second guest and we were shooting the breeze. I was kind of just telling him my story, telling him, you know, why I do the things I do just like I, you know, I just did with you. And, you know, he hit pause on the recording and literally looked at me and was like, Hey dude, like, I think that we should team up and kind of do this together and kind of make a company out of it. Like you want to help people. I want to help people. Um, we kind of have the same goals. We kind of have the same visions. I'm very accountability based. Accountability helped my journey incredibly before my journey. I had no idea what accountability was, what it meant. Nothing. I I wouldn't be where I am today without being accountable to my actions. Um, so we got to talking, um, we started laying the groundwork for it. Um, and right before COVID hit, we signed paperwork. We opened up an LLC. It's called the accountable life group. Um, basically we are exactly what it sounds like. We're a group of individuals with like-minded goals who are trying to keep each other accountable to reach said goals. Um, we've built an online community off of Discord with over 120 active members. We do a weekly call every Wednesday night for absolutely, th- excuse me, absolutely free at 8:30 p.m. I actually have to jump on after we finish up recording this, um, and we do a podcast. We do a podcast very similar to this. It's roundtable style Q and A kind of give um you know the guests an opportunity to share their story talk about you know what helped them what motivated them what defeated them you know how they can help you know make someone's life better who's listening to the podcast um and now we're actually about to drop our accountability journal which will be available on Amazon soon um this was all within the first month of covid hitting um so now here we are almost 7 months later right covid is actually going to have its birthday soon how crazy is that that's nuts yeah, dude. And um, yeah, here we are. Accountable Life Group. Kind of just running with it, man. Like we hit the ground running and I'm a very like fly by the seat of my pants kind of guy. Like <laughs> I like to plan some stuff, but yeah. like I'm just a very, I'm very much a Hail Mary, chuck it down the field. If he makes it, he makes it type of guy. So we've just been rocking and rolling, man. And God bless. Like we've had so much success with it so far. Like last week we had someone on the weekly call that was from Mexico, like living in wow. Mexico, was in Tijuana, Mexico. 
it was on our community call, which was absolutely bonkers. The following day, someone joined from the UK. I'm hoping that they show up on the call tonight, but yeah, they're in the UK. Like, it's just crazy the reach that you can get when you're just real with people, you know, and you can connect with people on a different level. Um, I'm so blessed. I cannot wait to see where the Accountable Life Group goes. Um, I know that, you know, what I can tell you right now is that we will be taking on um, group uh, coaching and one-on-one coaching as well. You know, that's either with David or, you know, with me or in a group setting with other people, but we will be introducing that soon. Um, And like I said, the uh, Accountable Life Journal will be out um, probably, probably towards like the first week of December. That's like the latest I'm giving it. But yeah, man, it's, it's been a hell of a ride. It's definitely a new chapter to this journey and uh, I'm loving it so far. It sounds like you're doing some really dope stuff, man. And so it's kind of funny that, you know, you started this during COVID because literally the reason I, you know, finally made the choice to start this podcast is I was reading this thing and it was like a meme that's going around and it said something oh, like, yes. like if you've ever said like you didn't have time to like work out or start a business or, you know, and it listed all these things. It was like, if you don't do it now, when everything's shut down, you didn't really want to do it. You're just lazy or something right. along those lines. And I was like, mm-hmm. that's kind of true. I was like, a, I'm scared of like what people might think whenever I put right. this podcast out and B, you know, I'm just making excuses. And so, you know, that was kind of my accountability. It was like, I was like reflecting on myself and it's like, Hey, if I want to be this person, if I want to, you know, be this new person, I think I am to challenge myself. Like now's my time. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. And it's crazy because again, when we were planning all this out, COVID wasn't even like a thing. Like, yes, there was the reports that was coming from China and all, and all that good stuff. But you know, it wasn't here. We never expected to get locked down, you know, and when it did start, we had the whole, you know, flatten the curve thing. It's only going to take two weeks. So when COVID first hit, it was like, how is this going to affect our business that we're trying to get off the ground? And then we realized, hey, maybe this is the greatest thing that ever happened to us because we had no choice but to work on it. You know, like this started out of a, a, you know, from late night planning, you know, we, me and David lives in in, uh, Michigan. We've never met face to face. We do everything through zoom, you know, and this was just the product of, you know, meeting up late night on zoom and and taking notes and bouncing ideas off of each other. And, you know, talking about how cool would it be if we made an online, you know, community to, Hey, you know, have you ever heard of discord? And then him setting up a discord server. And then, you know, the first 10 people joined and then 20 people joined and 30 people joined and, you know, now it's a buck 20 and it's just, absolutely bonkers man what you can do when you you know really set your mind to it like a year ago today i had no idea that i was going to start my own business you know it wasn't even the intention to start my own business um now here we are you know i can officially say that i am a co-founder ceo of a company um are we turning a profit no we're not turning profit yet um but you know what amazon didn't turn a profit for a very long time (laughs) Exactly. And honestly, man, I think that it might have been the very best time to start a business like this. Absolutely. As far as like helping people, because like how many people now with gym shut down and all these kind of things like need accountability, they need someone there for themselves. And that's one thing that I've really thought about with the Instagram community, this podcast is there's so many people in the world that you don't think about that don't have accountability partners. They don't have anyone there like talking to them. So being able to provide some a show like this to give motivation every day or every week or Instagram where you can chat back and forth. That's a huge thing for people. Yeah, man. 
Yeah, dude. People people want that. People need that. People thrive off that. Um, like I said before, like before I started my journey, I had no idea what accountability was. I couldn't even spell accountability if I wanted to. Like it just wasn't a word in my vocabulary. And then, you know, my trainer Steve kept preaching it to me and he kept preaching it to me. And he kept preaching it to me. Accountability, accountability. When you say something, you gotta follow through with it. You know, if if you don't follow through with it, you're just cheating yourself. And you know, this is just stuff that was just beaten to my brain you know and now it's like if this is the formula to my life like whenever i get a dm of of someone who you know doesn't you know is just starting out on this journey um i always tell them the same thing hey man you know you got to give 200 percent in life then they go well what's 200 percent? i thought it's only 100 percent life no no my friend it's 100 percent accountability staying you know staying true to exactly what you say you're going to do and following through with it you know then it's 80 percent dieting well i don't call it dieting i call it lifestyle so 80 percent lifestyle and then 20 percent working out you know that is the the formula to life if you follow that formula you're going to have success and i mean that's what i preach man without accountability you don't have anything so i kind of think like what you're saying is a very interesting take because when you when you're talking about accountability you know when i hear the word like accountability and related to fitness i think about like the circle of people around you and them helping keeping you accountable but more like what you're saying it's more like self accountability oh hell I'm account- yeah man. i'm accountable to me and you know i think most people not not just like from a health and fitness and people being overweight aspect i think just most people in general are not accountable accountable to themselves mm-hmm. you know they rely on I have, I'm accountable to my job. I'm accountable to, you know, my family, but it's like when you get up and go to work out, like you're being accountable to yourself. Yeah, man. A lot of people forget about themselves at the end of the day. It's crazy. Listen, I, I wasn't my own afterthought. It's sad, you know, like people forget, you know, you only have, as far as we know, we only get one shot at this thing, dude. Like we're on this rock one time goes around the sun and doesn't stop. And if you don't, if you say something, if you put something out into the universe and you say you're going to do something and, and you don't follow through with it, you're only cheating yourself. You know, um, if you tell, you know, 15 people, hey, you know, I, that's it. I'm changing my life. I'm going on a diet. You know, I'm, I'm not going to eat fast food anymore. And you project that into the world and, you know, you post your food on the daily, right? Like you're going through your motions, you're posting your meals, you're, you're proving to everybody that you're not having fast food anymore. You know, nobody knows what you're doing when you close your iPhone, you close your laptop, when you're by yourself and you're driving on the highway home from work and you, you know, you're about to pass a McDonald's and, you know, a McChicken sounds really good right about now. And if I don't post about it, nobody's going to know about it. Like, where's the harm in that? That's not personal accountability. You know, you can lie to everybody all day long, dude. Lie. Go ahead. Lie to everyone. Lie to your mom. Lie to your dad. Lie to your best friend. The moment you start lying to yourself, that's when the real damage comes. Yeah, it's going all downhill from there because there's there's no one to correct you. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome, man. Well, listen, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but before we get off here, there's one question I ask every uh, guest, and that is if there's one thing, like one simple thing that you could give to the listeners that they could implement today to help them in their journey, say they're starting off and they're, they're way overweight or they're towards the end of their journey or towards their goal weight, whatever it is, what would that be? Hmm. One, just know that this journey is never over. So even when you miss, when you, when you hit that goal weight, you know, that just doesn't mean that you stop. 
It doesn't mean that you go back to old habits. It doesn't mean that you start doing the things that you used to do to get you to work to that point where you didn't want to be because old habits have a, a tendency to creep back up really fast. So when, once you hit that goal weight, don't think that your job here is over. Your job here is never over. Um, and like I said before, most importantly, when you say you're going to do something, follow through with it. You know, you can lie again to anybody you want. Don't lie to yourself. You know, if you tell yourself you're going to do something, follow through with it. Because once you start telling the truth to yourself and you start proving to yourself that you can do the things that you say you're going to do, it's going to make your life a hell of a lot easier. With that said, I think that there are two things everybody should take away from this episode. And the first is what you said earlier, bariatric surgery is not the easy way out. It is a tool for people to use. And if you're at a point in time where your life is threatened or whatever, and that's an option that you're given, you know, if that's your, the, the choice that you make good and, but you have to be prepared to do the work. But, and then the second thing is people have to learn to be accountable to themselves and not just their community. Well, so just one last thing before we get off here, just uh, yeah. let everybody know where they can find you. Um, Instagram, podcast, uh, the Discord, the whole nine yards, how they Hell can yeah, get man. hooked up with you. I appreciate that. So you can find me at J-A-R-P-S underscore journey. Um, you can follow the Accountable Life Group at Accountable Life Group on Instagram. You can follow me on Instagram. Um, you can find the ALG podcast on every major um, streaming service that's Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, um, and you can also watch a live video version of the podcast on YouTube every single Friday at noon. Just type in Accountable Life Group or ALG. Um, if you would like access to our online server, again, the community call is a thousand percent absolutely free. Feel free to shoot me a DM or you can shoot my partner a DM. His Instagram is fit underscore DRock. And uh, yeah, guys, I look forward to it. Please do ever hesitate to shoot me a DM. I literally look through all my messages. It may take me a couple of days to get to you, um, but I answer every single person. Do not be afraid to ask me any questions. I want to help everybody. You know, I just want to help one person show themselves that they can better their life. You know, I want to inspire one person out there, save one person's life. So if you need the help, please reach out. I look forward to speaking with you and you, my friend. I appreciate you having me on. Perfect. Thanks, brother. I really appreciate you being on. Everybody go and make sure that you check out all these social medias. I know that I will be uh, following along, listen to the podcast, the uh, YouTube, the whole nine yards. Um, And so with that said, thank you, everybody. Have a great week and we'll see you next week.